Father God, Lord, I thank you for, for today, Lord. And I pray, God, that you would just speak through me right now, Lord, that there'd be things here, God, that would, that would impact our hearts, God. Lord, that would challenge us, challenge us to live in a different way, God. Maybe challenge us in who we see you are, God. Lord, that you would expand our vision of who you are, God, that we'd get a bigger picture of you, God, and that we'd leave here today with a deeper understanding of what it means to live and walk our life as a Christian. Lord, I just pray, Holy Spirit, you come right now and speak to each heart individually in this place. In your name, amen. Amen. So, guys, we're in the Acts series, as you guys know. We're in Ephesus today. It's part two. We very rarely spend more than one week in um, one town, but it's part two today. And you may remember for it's kind of some follow-up from last week, what had gone on is it's kind of a, it was a crazy time. Paul turns up in Ephesus. He's preaching in the synagogue. They get upset with him. He leaves. He's speaking in that dinosaur auditorium, the lecture hall of Tyrannus. So he's there preaching the whole of Asia over two years, his because of him and people are going out from there and we hear about Epaphras going over to Colossae and starting the church there and then we come into this particular event where they speak about the seven sons of Sceva who go and they're trying to cast this demon out but the demon kind of beats them up takes their clothes off it's a bit of a crazy picture and they run out naked and bleeding from this house that kind of precipitates this time where people are bringing all these scrolls. Do you remember I spoke last week about all these magic scrolls, all these magic books, they're bringing them forward and burning them. There's this mass repentance, this mass turning towards God. And I said last week that that it was no small thing, that in today's money it would have been millions and millions and millions of Hong Kong dollars. It's the equivalent of in those days, about 130, like 130 odd years worth of salary. So a huge, huge amount of money. It's this culture-shifting moment within that city. And so from off the back of that, we see Paul say, OK, Timothy, Erastus, you guys go up to Macedonia. I'm following on. And Paul is there. He's about to follow on. And that's pretty much where we left, left it, where he's tarrying in the city just a few days. And the second half of Acts pretty much tells... Of a, of a riot, of this, where this whole city just goes completely nuts whilst Paul's still there. And, you know, it finds its origins. The seed of this riot, really, finds its origins in the gospel. See, what the gospel's done in Ephesus has completely turned the city upside down. It split the city down the middle. Paul's ministry in that city, even though he's pretty much in this lecture hall, in the lecture hall of Tyrannus, has caused a tectonic shift in everything that's going on in that city. That's the beauty, but also the amazing power of the gospel. And for us, you guys may relate to this, that actually the gospel can cause a riot in our lives. You may remember when you first heard the gospel and it cut you so, like right to the core that there was this God who loves you, that you could have a relationship with him and it, it it challenged the very bedrock of what you knew at that moment but it led you to ask the bigger questions it led you to discover Jesus you know the gospel isn't just some nicey nicey Christian kind of doctrine or Christian thought that's like oh that's nice the gospel we'll put that on the shelf the gospel's amazing and wild and powerful and has the power to divide a city like this you know the gospel 
within that has the power to see the demons cast out, the sick healed, and leads to this riot. So, verse 23 to 29a, it says this. About that time there arose a great disturbance about the way. That's what Christianity was called then, followers of the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silversmiths always making trouble. Silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together, along with the workers in related trades, and said, You know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul is convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is a danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and they began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. See, the gospel challenges Demetrius, and he doesn't like it. His livelihood, everything that's set before him, is challenged. He's he's seeing, isn't he, person after person after person coming to faith in Jesus, becoming a follower of the way. He's seeing customer after customer after customer becoming a follower of Jesus. So this, this city is being transformed. Ephesus is being transformed right before his eyes. The, the demon-possessed are being set free. The sick are being completely healed. Thousands are repenting. You know, how many know if a bunch of people, a significant majority of people in the city, are suddenly burning their scrolls, are happy and comfortable enough to burn, like I said, each person's burning like tens of thousands of Hong Kong dollars. That's that expensive. That suddenly they're not going to worry about getting rid of like a little idol. They're certainly not going to go back and start buying little idols. So he's looking at his business and he's like, man, you know, he's worried about it. It's this beautiful moment when all those scrolls are burnt, with so many people turning back to God, coming back into relationship with God. But you know, Demetrius doesn't see the beauty in it. He doesn't see the power of the gospel working in those lives, calling those people back into a relationship with God. What does he do? He worries about his business. He sees this kind of, the the thing right in front of his eyes, he sees this loss of, of revenue that fundamentally is where this all starts. It starts with his business, less to do with the goddess. See, he looks to self. He looks to money. He calls a bunch of other tradesmen together, and then he shares his grievances with these guys, doesn't he? And that transpires and ends up leading into a a riot. That he's more concerned for the business than for the gospel. That they're more concerned with the growth of their industry or what they do than the kingdom of God growing in their city. I know many people are in business and do business and things like that. I come from like a business background. Business is wonderful. Business is an amazing high calling. You know, I often say to Christian business people who feel, oh, maybe I should go into ministry. I'm like, you need to pray about that because not everyone's called to ministry. Some people are called to be a CEO. And actually, if you're called to be a CEO, that's no less of a divine calling than being called to be a pastor or something like that. Business is great, but it's fundamentally where it all starts. 
You know, business, just like anything else, can be gospel-centered. You can have a gospel-centered business, or you can have a business that's centered around something else. Potentially, it could be centered around money as the main thing. It could be centered around power. It could be centered around pride or the pride of the person who's the, the boss. See, in the last verses, do you remember we spoke about Paul and Erastus and Timothy? And we said this last week that these guys were just so willing just to throw it all down. Just go back on the road. T- take a route that for them, in, it wouldn't have necessarily been comfortable. They were preparing to do something that maybe didn't seem like the common sense thing to do. But in what they were called to, it was certainly the thing that would see the gospel grow. It's certainly the thing that would see the kingdom expand. And then we get this other picture of these tradesmen. They're more interested in their thing that's going on than his thing that he's doing in the city. And, you know, guys, there's a challenge for us in that, that we can either choose sometimes to be like Paul or be like these tradesmen. And I'm not saying that, you know, being like Paul is quitting your job and, like, going to Macedonia. You don't have to do that. Uh, Maybe, but, I mean, we get to make the kingdom decisions or the decision centered around something else, maybe self, pride, finance, something like that. What is number one priority? You know, sometimes people are willing to bend the truth more, you know, with the business deal. Don't say something 100% true to bring it in. Or is the integrity of the gospel and your walk more important? You know, it's one of those things that the craftsmen, they could argue pretty fairly, right? Well, what about our families? What about our families in this? But the truth is, you should never do a, a bad thing in order to do a good thing. Feeding your family is obviously a good thing, a godly thing, a great thing. But it's not a good thing to do if you're doing a bad thing. You know, it's not, it's not good to go and rob a whole load of stuff from people and kill people in order to have enough. That's not the way. You know, in our various work, we are going to be challenged in so many different ways, so many different areas that we could be challenged in and how we live out our work. But I encourage you guys, be gospel-centered in when you're working. Be living for him, work for him. That means things like don't lie, don't cheat. It means watch how you speak. Be of good speech in front of people's faces and behind their backs as well. You know, sometimes we may work in an industry or a department where actually it's pretty kind of anti the gospel. Pray about how can you bring the light of the gospel into that place? How can you bring that joy and peace and love of God there into that place, into that department or into that industry? How can you bring it in line with the kingdom? How can you let your light shine in that place? And so these amazing craftsmen, they're good craftsmen. You know, they wouldn't have been rubbish craftsmen. That's what their job is. They could have turned their hands. They, they could have seen, wow, look what's going on in the city. Look at these people being healed. And they could have turned their hands to a gospel-centered craft. You know, not making an idol, but making all kinds of beautiful things, using their creative gifts, because creativity is deeply godly. You know that video we just saw? How awesome is that? How beautiful is that? How inspiring is that? Someone made that. He is the ultimate creator. And so they could have done things and supported family and supported the poor. You know, actually the Bible says about our work, not work so that you'll have your daily bread, right? The Bible says, 
you pray to God, give us today our daily bread. But actually about work, it says work so that you may have something to give. Because within that is actually your intention of work is, yeah, sure, everyone in the family is cared for, but it's work so that you can be a blessing into the world. Each and every single one of us, we've all got these amazing gifts and talents. There's probably things that you can do that you've never even thought, actually, it's that great. But when you show it to people, they're like, wow, that's incredible. You know? How can your gifts and talents be used to bring an aspect of the kingdom to the earth? Because you know, it's part of what we pray for. When we pray in the Lord's Prayer, don't we? We say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And God can work through your gifting as one way of seeing the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And that's massive that you in partnership with God can be agents of bringing transformation so that you can bring a kingdom reality in your workplace. Guys, Sometimes I've found that sometimes people think it's just about how we are, you know, that kind of attitude, that manner. And it is in part, but it's also about the gifts that we can bring to the world as well. So there is the fruit of the spirit. There is the peace and joy and love. And we can see the kingdom come through that and set kind of the environment, the tone. But also I want to encourage you in your gifting and what what you do, even if you're sat there thinking, you know, I do this. I can't quite see how that connects with this spiritual heaven stuff. I used to work in LED lighting, like full-time. Yeah, we're actually lots of LED lighting guys here. I remember one time thinking about like, man, like what's, what's going on, what's, what am I doing? And I was walking the factory one time and I just remember God just sharing with me this thing of actually look at all these products, look at all this beauty and creativity that's gone on here. And, that actually that light that you guys have spent so many hours designing and months and months like debating over, you've tried to create the best thing you can possibly do. That, even that, that in itself is godly, but that's gonna be a lantern that goes to a family and they're gonna, because they've got that, they're just, it's just gonna completely transform their experience of a, a family camping time and create, be part of creating an amazing memory. You know, there's so many things that we can discount, but actually I encourage you guys, don't kind of belittle the things that we do. That some things are beautiful like that on an individual family level. Some things that, like if we talk about LED lights, the massive, the guys who provide the street lights, imagine if no one bothered to do that, you know? Imagine if no one bothered to do that, it'd be awful. It'd be dark. They're hours and hours to develop all this stuff and give their lives really, which gives us light at night. Eternally speaking, you know, everlasting life. It's not supposed to be life sat on a cloud wearing a toga for a million years, maybe having grapes, you know. That just sounds like, it's like, oh, like it sounds like hell, doesn't it? It would be like a massive punishment. You know, eternal life, which when you're in Christ has begun already, is just an amazing, rich life lived with God forever, a real life, you know, a life where we work, where we discover, where we create, where we serve, where we live, where it's not just some kind of like, oh, you know, floating around as some like thing, like in, in a bunch of lights or something. The Bible speaks, actually the Bible even speaks about us being on earth for eternity, right? It says there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And it's life lived with God, God who is 
total love, total joy, total peace, that outside of him, we don't have that. In fact, you know, the Bible says every good and perfect thing is from him. That whether you're a believer or not a believer here at the moment in this world, every good and perfect thing, the joy that people are having who reject him day in and day out, still that joy and that love is from him. So back to the craftsmen. They completely miss the gospel. They miss all this stuff. They miss this opportunity and they miss the identity that Jesus is calling these guys into. They miss the identity that Jesus is calling them into to be Ephesians of Jesus, you know? We are Ephesus of Jesus. To be a city that turns like those guys burning the scrolls and worships Jesus, worships the King of Kings and calls him Lord of Lords. And these craftsmen say, what do they say? They say, look, there's a risk that not just our craft, but even the great temple of Artemis, she may fall into disrepute. And the, the Ephesians, they're so proud of their status and they love their idol. And what do they shout? They shout, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And at the core of it for these guys, there's the problem that they've, they've heard the gospel. They've, they've been um, called to repentance. They've been called to this eternal life in God, this kingdom life. They've seen, sword, they've seen people healed and people set free from demons. They've seen a bunch of sorcerers who were doing all kinds of spells and stuff weeks before they burnt all their books you know even though actually these sorcerers have identified themselves with Jesus that they've come to faith in Christ many people in the city they catch that cry great is Artemis of the Ephesians great is Artemis of the Ephesians and what's going on here that despite everything they're still finding their identity in Artemis they're finding their identity in an idol Tell me, guys, is there anything that you find your core identity in that isn't Christ? And I don't mean like, oh, yeah, I occasionally like to do this. I'm talking about an identity that if you lost that, it would break you. you know? If that's who I am and if that, that went, it would break you. you know, if yes, then we have a problem. You know, the gospel calls us to find our identity in Christ. And actually, as we come to faith in Christ, God speaks over us new things. We get given a new name. See, in Christ, you are now declared a child of God. In Christ, you are justified, which is before you were condemned. In Christ, you are declared righteous. That means right standing before God. When we follow him, God calls us into this completely new identity as his child. You're beloved of the Father. That's massive. That's incredible. See, no mistake, if you maybe think, I can't, I can't work out, I'm so, I'm so messed up actually at the moment, I can't work out how I can be a child of God, but do you, do you know what? That no mistake is too much. No past is too messy. For his grace and his power to completely lift you up, declare you white as snow, and welcome you in. God doesn't say, whoa, you need to sort a few bits out before you can do this, okay? You need to sort a few bits out before I give you like the, the, the green light on this. You are completely accepted. And identity is powerful, isn't it? Ephesus is in an uproar and they're shouting about their identity because they're afraid of losing it. But you know, guys, the whole world today is in an uproar. 
There's so many people shouting about different kinds of identity because people are shouting about this is who I am, that's who I am. But all these identities, well, sometimes they're, they're kind of cool things. But if they're the, your core, if that is the foundation you've built your life on, they pale into in, like insignificance in comparison to an identity freely given by Jesus Christ, an identity that nothing, not even the end of the world, could shake or take away from you. So where do you guys find your identity? Is it in him? And is it in him as like a theological concept? Or is it, is it actually when you walk out the door in the morning, this is something living and alive in you, that you're a child of God? Or is it in something else? Is it in your job? Is it in your family? Is it in the car that you drive? Is it in the numbers in your bank account at the end of the month? All those kinds of things they can change, boom, be gone in a moment. Literally in the blink of an eye, overnight, those kind of things can be gone. So don't build your identity, don't build your foundation on something which is so unstable and so changeable. Build on the rock, build on Jesus, build on Jesus. Now as a pastor, sometimes, you've seen pastors do this over the years, that maybe they, put their, they have a breakdown, they've put their identity in the church. And I need to be careful not to put my kind of identity and like being a pastor and being a church planter and put it in you guys and actually put my kind of self-worth on how you guys are doing. That would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? That would be dangerous for me. It's, pr- it's too much pressure on you. It's just like, James, you're not fit. You don't look very well. No, you guys have all let me down. Like my whole self-esteem is based on how you guys are. You know, if you don't turn up, I feel awful. If you do turn up, then I feel great. If that's like how I base my, my self-worth, if that's where I find my identity, very dangerous. You cannot find your identity in these kind of things. You're not that bad, guys. You'd make me feel great. The gospel gives us this call to a new identity as children of God. So verse 29b, it says to 31, it says, The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. So you've got Gaius and Aristarchus. This is the amphitheater in Ephesus that those guys were brought into. Gaius and Aristarchus, they're grabbed. They're, they're kind of, they're recognized. They're guys who've been part of Paul's ministry, work, working with him. Sometimes it's not the main guy that everyone's looking for that gets got. It's the people surrounding him. And they race into this amphitheater. Now, this amphitheater, this is kind of taken right from the back here, but it could fit seated 25,000 people. And so potentially, as everyone's packing into it, there's potentially there's even more people as this mob just kind of charges all, all in here. And you can just kind of imagine just complete chaos. So this is a serious riot. It's not like a few guys having fisty cuffs or like shaking around, not like, not just a few people. It is thousands and thousands of people. Paul then tries to get into the amphitheater. He was stood just there. That's not true. He was stood somewhere nearby and he tries to get into the amphitheater, presumably, right, to protect the guys, but the disciples forcibly hold him back and he gets word from these guys who are they're called, it says leaders of the city or something in that translation. They're called Asiarchs. Now, the Romans would appoint 
like very quite wealthy business kind of tycoons from each of the Asian cities. These were the Asiarchs, and they would have certain powers and certain kinds of responsibilities. They would be on an annual, like, rotating basis. And Paul's friends with these guys. And so they send him words saying, don't go into the amphitheater. Please don't go into the amphitheater. Notice, it's not big government. It's not some big sort of leadership thing, and they're trying to hammer Paul. It's because those guys are some of the most powerful men there. This riot is a result of the brokenness of people. You know, it's come about because of insecurity. It's come about because they're looking for identity in different places. It's come about predominantly because of Demetrius and everything that he kind of instigated. It's come about because of fear, you know, fear of losing something that he had. And also, it's kind of nonsensical. The whole thing doesn't quite make sense. It's this crazy situation. I love the next verse, verse 32. It says, the assembly was in confusion. You think? The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some were shouting another. Most of the people didn't even know why they were there. I think that's just kind of crazy, right? And that is such a picture of like the world that we can have. You know, the the situation is so wild because most people there have like, ah! you know, they're maybe chanting stuff that's going on. We have no idea what's going on, but we're just following along with the crowd. They don't really know why they're there. And you know, most people who are opposed to the gospel actually have no idea what the gospel is that if you go up to them and you had a conversation about Christianity and they vehemently said like, no, no, no. If you said fair, I understand that, but would you please tell me the gospel? They wouldn't be able to tell you the gospel, but that's the most important thing. that's the thing that we've been asked to share, right? Sometimes folks just oppose Christianity because it's a cultural thing. The general trend is we kind of anti-Christianity. And then you've got the other side of the coin, which sometimes in very religious countries, very religious Christian countries, that maybe really defend Christianity and all that, it can sometimes be even worse because these guys need to know the gospel. But often you can ask those kind of guys the gospel and they may not be able to tell you the gospel. And that's significant. It's, do you know the gospel? Who is Jesus? See, just because someone seems to oppose Christianity or oppose what you believe, oppose faith, right? It doesn't mean that they actually oppose the gospel. It doesn't mean that they've fully understood, sometimes they do, but fully understood the gospel, know what the gospel is, and has said no to the gospel. So guys, learn to communicate the gospel well. For some people, quite a lot of people actually, they love Jesus, they think Jesus is great. They've never heard of the gospel. They can't quite get it. They don't fully understand the gospel. But it's actually church that they reject because of past experience or even sometimes they've never experienced it, but just words from someone else or sometimes the culture that that you grow up in and live in. Sometimes it is Christians that they don't like, that they had really bad experiences with Christians and the way the church and the people in the church have treated them. Let me tell you a true story. One morning, this is in Calcutta, one morning a man decided he's going to go and visit a Christian church in Calcutta. And upon going to the entrance of the church, he was stopped at the door by one of the ushers and said, sorry, you can't come in here. He was told, this guy was told, you wouldn't be welcome and you wouldn't be actually permitted to to come in and attend this particular church because this church is for high caste Indians and for white people. 
this guy was neither a high caste Indian and he was neither a white guy. So because of the rejection, the man walked away from the church, never going back to Christianity again. Initially, he had a real desire to discover Christianity, discover Jesus, but he was kicked away by Christians at the door. You know, that experience led him years and years later to say, if it weren't for Christians, I'd be a Christian. And that man was Gandhi. And I just think, how heartbreaking is that? You know, that the people that should be bringing someone like that lost into the, into the kingdom, into the church, is a Christian. And yet they turned him away. Your identity for each of us, guys, is child of God. The Bible describes us as ambassadors of the kingdom here in the world. So it's okay if you communicate the truth of the gospel and somehow within that they're offended by the gospel. That's okay, you know. Sometimes people do get offended, but it is not okay if they're offended by how you share the gospel. Sometimes I find people try and communicate the gospel in an offensive kind of way. You know, it's not okay for us to offend people. But, you know, sometimes when we just share the gospel, we share the truth just with patience and gentleness, then people can be offended. You know, that's okay. You know, we represent the kingdom, that we are called to share the gospel. And the thing I love is to let our light shine to let our light shine. In Ephesians 4, 1 and 3, I mean, it's kind of speaking about life within the church, but I think it's very applicable to just how we are in the world. It says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. You guys are called to be ambassadors of the kingdom here in the world, with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Guys, let your light shine before you. Be ready in season and out of season, just whenever, to explain the gospel, the hope that you have for life. So, verse 33 and 34. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front. Poor Alexander. They pushed him to the front and they shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours. Ah, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great. Two hours. That's such a long time. Just to get like, they're, they're just kind of they're off their rocket at the moment. This guy, Alexander, he's a Jew. Very likely this whole situation is Paul's a Jew as well, right? And the Jews who are there, part of the synagogue, are saying, trying to get someone to speak, say, look, we're nothing to do with these guys, getting him up. But then when they see him, they just start going, going crazy. And I mean, the truth is, sometimes in some situations and some people, when you try and share with them, that they're just not, they're just not ready to hear. You know, I've shared the gospel with some people before, and it's like they may as well have their fingers in their ears singing la 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 because they're just not listening to what I'm saying because they just want to try and say something. They're just thinking about what they're trying to say back to me. Not actually interested to hear the gospel. So verse 35 to 34, it says, this is kind of the big end scene, okay? It says, the city clerk quieted the crowd and said, fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples or blasphemed our goddess. If then 
Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. They can press charges. If there's anything further you want to bring up, it, um, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we're in danger of being charged with rioting because of what happened today. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion, since there is no reason for it. After he'd said this, he dismissed the assembly. So, guys, we then get, right at the end, this speech by the city... I mean, it says city clerk, doesn't it? Often that word clerk can seem a little bit kind of a low... Someone who's doing some administration. Actually, he's kind of the very key guy in the city. The Romans, at this time, they had allowed religious freedom. Ephesus was self-governing. They had a lot of power at this time. They were allowed their own elections. So he'd have been a powerful, wealthy guy, very likely, but also elected into that position. And what's going on here isn't just this little disturbance, like we saw in that photo, right? It's massive what's going on here. It's a huge uproar. The city official actually, whilst on the face of it, he's kind of diffusing it and Paul's safe. So on one hand, it's kind of positive, but actually this guy, if you look deep into what he's saying, he isn't for the gospel. He's not lifting up the gospel. He's not interested in seeing Christ lifted up. He doesn't stand up and defend the gospel in this place. He's protecting, ultimately, his position. What he's doing is he's looking to his wealth, his status, and the city itself. He starts by reinforcing their old identity, reinforcing this identity as worshippers of Artemis and the identity of the city. He says, fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image which fell from heaven? This is verse 35, 36. Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, he's saying this is undeniable, guys. How, how often we heard that about something that's just not, not real. This is undeniable. This is just, this is what, what's true. You ought to calm down and not do anything rash. Now, it is from a positive slant. He wants safety in the city and he wants to get people to stop kind of rioting and yeah, it helps Paul out. But you see, the result isn't people looking to God. Paul has been there for a long time and he's been calling people to become children of God. And then the city clerk stands up and he calls people to quieten down, to go back to a poorer identity, to being idol worshippers. See, he could have stood up, he could have been harder, but he could have stood up and said what Paul and his team have done over the last few years. Look what's happened over the last few years. Look at the healings that have happened. Look at the demon-possessed guys, even the seven sons of Sceva. Did you see that? Did you see all the people burning their scrolls and turning, turning to God? We know, like, you know, that mad magician, he was crazy. But there's something going on here. There's something serious that's in this. But he doesn't, and he invites them back into their old identity. Sometimes, guys, in life, we are going to get opportunities, and it will be an opportunity where we can just, where we can lift Jesus up, where we can lift the gospel up, or not. And I'm not saying being weird at like every opportunity. You know, stand up and people are like, hey, James, could you just um, like introduce yourself? And you're like, hi, and then you just start sharing the gospel. I don't mean something like that, but that there will be times in life where we're faced with situations and opportunities to lift up the gospel or not. And do we have the courage to do that? Do we have the courage to share and call people into that new identity as children of God? Or it's not even courage, it's just great news, isn't it? Sharing it, sharing something great with people that you love, maybe. 
But he does speak about Paul. And he addresses Paul, because that's the main issue there. He says something really fascinating, which is a great challenge for, for us. He says something fascinating, verse 37. He says, you have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. That's an amazing like, testimony for Paul's ministry there in Ephesus from, from the chief guy. Like, we're kind of expecting that Paul hasn't robbed the temple, right? That first part is like Paul's not been like nicking stuff. We kind of, that's not a surprise. But... I think it's amazing that the testimony is he hasn't blasphemed the goddess. You know, he hasn't ridiculed her. He hasn't been speaking against her. And I just, you know, that's amazing. And there's a lesson for us in sharing our faith or sharing the gospel and communicating with of, people of other points of view and, and stuff like that, that Paul points to Jesus. He points to the gospel with words and with power. He didn't need to speak against. He didn't need to focus on the other stuff. You know, I was actually in a situation once where there was somebody who suddenly actually got possessed, like right there and then. And the guy leading the service was just so powerful and incredible because he just looked to Christ and just looked to Jesus. He commanded this demons to get out. And then it was Andrew Owen, actually, who started Destiny Ministries. He commanded this demon to get out and told everyone, do not pay attention to it. Do not give any kind of time or attention to this thing that wants to detract attention from the Lord. And it was kind of during an amazing time preaching, he just carried on preaching. And this was all going on at the side and people dealing with it. But it was, there's just such power there that we don't need to turn and like focus on like criticizing people and pulling stuff down. Just focus on Jesus, lifting up the gospel. And I think that's quite powerful because often Christians can kind of come across as being seen as like, I'm going to criticize this, I'm going to criticize that, you shouldn't do this, and you shouldn't do that. But actually, you know, it's let us lift up Christ. Let's lift Christ to them. And in love, lift them up, show them, guys, look, this is amazing. This is beautiful. You can have a relationship with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. When you walk outside tonight and you see the stars and you see the moon, you can have a relationship with the one who hung those, whose idea it was. You can speak to him intimately as one speaks to a friend. And so, guys, let's be people who lovingly lift up Jesus. And so the city clerk is saying to these guys, you can't even criticize them for blaspheming against the goddess they haven't even done that and then he calls Demetrius and the craftsman he says look if you guys like anybody else has an issue then you need to go and restore that in the courts you need to go to the courts he's not saying just forget about it leave them he's calling them to the courts there's not this thing of lifting up the kingdom and then the chapter ends with these words as it is we are in danger this is verse 40 41 as it is we are in danger of being challenged with rioting because of what happened today. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there is no reason for it. After he'd said this, he dismissed the assembly. This is actually the main point that he's doing. What he's done is, it's kind of a Greek style of arguing. He's pretty much set out the reasons not to, like this, the, like he's destroyed all the reasons why they've got, got Paul there in the first place. But then also, he's now scaring them basically he's freaking them out and so he, he says to, he says to them he, all this stuff and then and then he says look guys we're going to be charged with rioting disperse and all these guys disperse how does he freak them out well this is what happens the the roman 
kind of officials within the city in that province, they would consider something like this. They would consider rioting an act of rebellion against Rome. And that would result in the Romans taking immediate, decisive, and violent military action right there. Like, could be literally those guys are suiting up as, as they speak. To come down, blood would have been shed. People would have lost their lives. People would have lost their lives for not knowing why they were there in the first place. There's a, I'm sure there's another sermon in that. You, know? you, you can imagine why suddenly those guys who were there and they've got no idea why they're there and they're just like uh, shouting stuff, why suddenly they disperse? And they're like, oh, best be off, and they go. You know, also, very likely, the Romans would have stripped Ephesus of all their special privileges that they had at, their at that time, their rights, especially things of like self-governance, that they could lose everything because of this riot. That, the magistrate, that city clerk, he's looking in the face of potentially losing all his power, all his status, everything that's surrounding him. And in all honesty, it's not Artemis, I don't think, that his, is his idol. It's that stuff, his position, his authority, that is his idol. And the whole story here, this little bit at the end, as we kind of run into land, it points to the beauty of the gospel. You see, the city official is worried, isn't he? Freaked out that the Romans are going to suddenly come and because of this riot, because of this rebellion against Rome, or see it as a rebellion against Rome, and they're going to come down and they're going to punish you. They're going to judge and blood is going to flow. But the crazy thing is there is a bigger rebellion that's going on that the city clerk just doesn't see. And yet it is what Paul has been there for nearly three years preaching about. A rebellion, not against Rome, not against the human kingdom, but against God Almighty. A rebellion against the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. A rebellion against God himself. So a rebellion of mankind turning away from God, living in sin. A rebellion where man is taking his own way and not gone back to God. The Bible speaks and says all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Everyone sinned. Everyone sinned. All are in rebellion against God, as all have sinned. But you know, it's not like he just tries to quiet them down and the Romans overlook it. There is a genuine rebellion, and there is genuine sin on everyone. And that sin isn't just, oh, it's okay, because that's unjust. We're looking at Justice Conference. That is so unjust. You'd feel unjust if someone murdered your family and someone just said, that's okay, you know. Sin must be judged, and God is totally just. But also, because he is 100% love, he is love, he sends his son to pay the price for your sin, for my sin, for your rebellion against him, for my rebellion against him, so that we can have eternal life. You know the famous verse, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. You know, so within that is total justice and complete love. The son pays the ultimate price. He bears the wrath of God, the judgment of God, so that you can be given this new identity, that you can be raised up, that you can be called sons and daughters of the living God. And the city clerk, in that one moment, in that one little speck of time, he calls them to stop and go back home to their idols and to their old lives for fear that the Romans are going to kill them, for fear that the Romans are going to impact them, and especially like him and his privileges. But Paul, for nearly three years, 
He's been calling these same people to stop rebellion, not from fear, not from fear of the Romans, not even maybe from reverence of God, but not, not from fear, but because of the good news, because of the gospel, that they can come into this new life. They can come into this relationship with him and find this better and more beautiful identity. Paul's calling them onwards into God. And so just at the end there, guys, I want to challenge you. We're just going to have a little moment of response time. I just want to encourage you guys, that same call is here for us today. Are we going to choose him or not? That's what, we're, that's what we take out into our worlds. Are we going to choose him or not? Do you follow Jesus today? Do you believe in him? And it doesn't mean you've got to get everything sorted or understand everything 100%. It's do you see him and say, Jesus, well, you know, I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that you came and that you died for me that you have given me your righteousness so I can, so that I can stand before God, so that I can have a relationship with him. You know, have you told him? Have you told him that? You know, guys, as we just have this response time today, just feel free, pray after me. If this is you and you just want to start this journey with God, just start this relationship, exploring stuff. He is a great respecter of persons. There's no compulsion or forcing but if you want to start this relationship today just invite invite him in well let's just pray right now father i thank you for sending jesus to die on a cross for me jesus i thank you for your sacrifice i believe in you today i make you my savior today and i'll follow you today Holy Spirit, come and fill me afresh. Come in. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, I choose to live for you today. In your name. Amen. Are you here today and you think about the gospel and you're like, actually, I don't really know how to share the gospel I want to encourage you guys practice. And if you don't know how to practice it, come speak to come speak to me. Let's let's chat about it. There is there's so many different ways to, to share the gospel. And guys, I want to encourage you. Let your light shine. Let your light shine. Whatever industry you're in, let your light shine. You know, you don't need to stoke up the light. Okay, that I just want to encourage you guys in this you are light god doesn't say do some stuff so that your light can shine he just says don't hide it under a basket you know you by your nature shine let your light shine out and lastly i just want to challenge you guys if anyone has an issue with identity today if you're a believer, I want to challenge you. Do you see your identity? Do you see yourself as a child of God? Do you see yourself as a child of God? Do you know what that means? How enormous that is. It's massive. I'm just going to pray now just over, over everyone. Guys, if you want to receive the Holy Spirit now, I just want just lay your hands open. I'm just going to do a, a general prayer. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would come right now 
Come and fill, fill us afresh, God. Fill us afresh, Holy Spirit. Lord, I just pray that you would send your Holy Spirit in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, and speak to our hearts just now. Speak to our hearts, God. Lord, I pray that the broken part, parts, the parts where we're in great challenge, Lord, that you bring wisdom and that you bring comfort. Holy Spirit, God, remembers the comforter. Yeah. And Lord, I just pray for identity for all of us, God. Lord, I pray that you would grow us and lead us on so that we would know that we're ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven here on the earth, that we would live with our light shining before us, God, and we would step out not in who the world says we are, not in who our parents have said we are, not in who just people tell us we are, God, but that you, God, say that we are your children, that we are children of the king, that we're that, that royal family, in a sense, walking out, Lord, and let us live lives worthy of our calling, God. Let us bring that peace, bring that joy, bring that light, bring that life, bring those gifts and skills, God, into our workplaces.